I think it's important that every once in a while we just go over a few things scripturally because we live in a society that thinks that the things of God and the things that we're called to do as a church are relatively insignificant, okay? I mean, most people, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm generalizing, okay? So you always run a risk when you generalize, right? But I'm generalizing that most of our church-going people are not discipling their children. By that, I mean they are not reading the scriptures with their children at home or purposefully praying with their children at home uh, or even, you know, enjoying worship with their children at home. Amen? I think that... Uh, those things are overlooked, and I think they're overlooked for a very definite reason. I don't think these things are overlooked because the families, I, okay, so let's say it this way. It is overlooked because the families are not being taught it at church. Amen? It is definitely not the, their fault alone. Amen? But I would say that the church itself has came to a position of being so relaxed that even church isn't important. And do I look funny? I got a booger in my nose or something? Sure. We don't take church serious, okay? I don't know if you realize this, although we understand that personally I will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, this isn't by myself, right? Jesus is coming back for a bride, right? Not just a single person, not just you individually, but for all those who believe, amen? For a church. And we are, we are given warning after warning by Christ himself that we, his church, ought to be busy when he comes, amen? So, when we diminish what church means or the gathering of the saints means or the severity or the necessity of us meeting, we are diminishing the exact thing that Jesus came to establish. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to establish a temple there and 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 a temple there. He said, I'm going to come down and establish my church. Wherever two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Does Jesus live in our heart by faith? Sure. But he also does this corporately as we meet. Amen. This is something that we've gotten away from in our idea of why church is necessary. Okay, so I titled tonight... This is necessary, okay? And we're going to go through just a few things, and I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, this is scratching the surface of the teaching of church or the ecclesia, the gathered body of believers, okay? So we're going to go through this. Number one, I'm going to start with defining what church is, amen? So church in the New Testament is the Greek word 1577. It's ekklesia, okay? This is the 
foundational word that is used throughout the entire New Testament when talking about God's people. And this word, ecclesia, is never individualized. Never. It is the, the word itself means a congregation, an assembly, a church, a calling out of people. Properly, according to Thayer's lexicon, it is call, called out of their homes to public worship an assembly called out or called forth for worship. This is what the word ecclesia or church means. Now, here's some fun facts. Ecclesia appears 118 times in the New Testament. 118 times. Now, of those 118 times in the New Testament, 115 of them are translated church. With only three of them being translated as an assembly. So this is a very important biblical topic. If you were gonna, if you're really big on word searches, this would be one of those words that should be at the top of your list of understanding because it is so frequently used in the New Testament. Amen. What is the church? Why is the church so important? Well, I want to I want to go with a scripture to start with. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And I think I want to start At verse 13. Okay. Do you need another Bible? Okay. Okay. Why? Well, I've got this great big brick of one that you can borrow. Okay. <clears throat> verse 13. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi. John 6. Or Matthew 16. 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man is? Who, or excuse me, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and some others Jeremiah, or one of the or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom Say ye that I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now I want to stop right there, because there's so many people today that are like, oh, organized churches, that's not what Jesus came to establish. I beg to differ. The entire New Testament is about men 
and women spreading the gospel and establishing churches in every city, in every country that they go to. This is the entire book of Acts. It's all of Paul's letters. It's the book of Revelation. Amen? The church is what Jesus came to establish. Do you understand when you read, I've come to establish my church, he is specifically saying this. He's specifically saying, I have come to establish a congregation, an assembly, a called out people who worship me openly and publicly as God. That's what he came to establish. That's what he said, right? I have come to establish my church. Amen. I will build my church on what revelation? The revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the rock he's building his church on. That's what he's building his church on. The revelation of who he is and he is calling out a people to worship him. Amen. And we can see all throughout the New Testament, this is what's going on. All throughout it. The book of Acts begins with the church in Jerusalem, goes to Samaria, goes to Judea, goes to Galilee, goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. And everywhere these men and women go, something happens. They start writing letters and they say to the church of Rome, to the church of Corinth. And to the church of Philippi, to the church in Galatia, right? This, all these letters that are written in the New Testament, they are written to churches. Even when Paul writes an individual letter, the letter is so that this person, whether it be Timothy or Titus, can tell the people of God how they are to act in the church or the assembly of God's people. That's the purpose of the book of Timothy. Was that he would establish elders. That he would guard against false teaching. That he would tell people how they ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. Peter says the same thing. This is absolutely ludicrous nowadays. That people think that Christianity is merely a personal religion that does not have anything to do with us meeting together. That is not the history of the Christian church. That is not the history of the, the church from its inception till now. A church is a body of people who are committed and to Jesus Christ to each other and to spreading the gospel of Christ. That's a church. Amen. I want you to notice, uh, go with me if you will to Acts chapter 2. And you're, everybody's going to go, Pastor, you read this all the time. Good. I'm going to read it until people on Facebook get it. Is that okay? Can, can I keep reading it until other people get it? Because I know you guys got it, right? Yeah, you're here. Exactly. Two, uh, go to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. We're going to start right there, okay? Okay. Uh, excuse me. Then they 
that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and their goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and uh, singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now I'm going to stop right here because this is the inception. This is the birth of the church. Okay? You have to understand that Jesus is telling them right now that, that, that when, when all these people got saved, quote unquote, okay? The reality of what happens is the biblical foundation for church behavior, church uh, uh, gatherings, how the church operates throughout the rest of the New Testament can be seen right here in Acts chapter 2. Let's look at a few things. I wrote a note. As those who believe gathered and dedicated themselves to, they dedicated themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. The fellowship. Breaking of bread. Prayers. Being together. They had all things in common. They were united. They were walking in unity. They gave to those in the congregation who had need. And they met, at the, they met daily at the temple. That's eight things that they did on a regular basis together as the church. And I want you to, because I miss this all the times I've read this, okay? I miss this. I, I, I didn't quite gather it in. And I've been preaching the Bible for quite a while. But if you look at verse, uh, excuse me, verse 47. I, and I missed another one here. Number, you can add number nine to your list, okay? Number nine, they praised God together daily. Praised God together daily. And if I had a pen, I'd write that down. Ha ha. Got one. Praised God together daily. Now, I don't mean to make light of this. I just think this is an important, important part of Christianity that we're making very uh, unimportant nowadays. Church, church attendance, church membership, church activity, church involvement are all on the decline. Do you realize this? It's all on the decline. Why? Because we think Christianity is only a personal faith. And it is not. Christianity is a corporate faith that you 
personally are involved in. It is not a faith of just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and your brothers and sisters in Christ of which you are part of the body of Christ. Amen. You are not a lone ranger Christian. Christians are not Christians if they do not love the people of God, if they do not care for the people of God. How can you say you love God and hate your brother? The truth is not in you. Amen. So we have these nine things, and I missed the last one, okay? We have these nine things that they're doing. Now, I'm going to read the last part because every church wants this part, right? Verse 47, part B. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, how many of you want God to add to the church? Raise your hand if you want God to add to the church. God did not add to the church until these nine things were being done by those who were already part of the church. It is simple math. Whatever a man sows, that what he reaps. Amen. And if we sow complacency and apathy towards church, church membership, church involvement, church activity, it is no wonder that our church is set empty. It's not rocket science. God blessed their, their work because they were doing all these things. Amen? Look at this. They followed the apostles' teaching. How many of you know it's nearly impossible to get Christians just to, to, to believe what the Bible says and follow that, right? Like, it is pulling teeth from uh, uh, um, oh, piranhas, you know what I mean? As soon as you try to, oh, you better get away from me. Don't tell me what to do. You can't tell me. You can't judge me. You can't tell me what to do. But the Bible tells me to. The Bible says if you see your brother caught in a fault, go to him. If he doesn't listen to you... Bring two or three witnesses. And if he doesn't listen to them, do you know what Jesus tells you to do? Take him to the church. Amen. That's what Jesus' words were in Matthew 18. Bring them before the church. Amen. Why? Because there are, the, the church is exactly what Jesus came to establish. And I want you to get the idea out of your head that the church merely started on the day of Pentecost. I guess that was a bad choice of phrase for myself. I guess I could have said the New Testament revelation of the church began on the day of Pentecost because the church itself, the gathering of God's people, is from the beginning of the book. Amen? Adam was God's man. Seth was God's man. and began, Men began to uh, uh, call on the name of the Lord in chapter 4. Uh, 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 of Genesis, okay? Noah was God's man. Noah was God's people. And then line after line down to Abram. Amen? That was the gathering of believers. Amen? This concept was not new to Israel. They knew what a congregation was. They knew what a church was. Amen? You realize that when we say church, we're probably just uh, translating a Hebrew word that meant congregation 
or called out ones. Amen? That's the reality of what we're talking about. This is nothing new, okay? To be a part of God's church means you love God's people. Amen? I'm going to get to that. Number, uh, number two on my list here. There are means and mechanisms that God uses within the local church that benefit Christian growth and whereby God gives or bestows and adds blessing or further grace to believers in the local church. There are mechanisms. There are means by which God does this. When we talk about a means of grace, what we're talking about is the mechanisms whereby God distributes grace to those who believe. Not just grace for salvation, but grace that teaches, grace that encourages, grace that helps us in our time of need. Amen? Aren't we told to come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our hour of need? Now, you'll go, what do you need more grace for? You're already saved. That's because grace isn't just for salvation. Grace is to help you live your Christian life. Grace is to help you learn to be obedient to what Christ says. Grace teaches you, Titus says, to deny ungodliness, deny the flesh, and live upright, holy lives in this present age. Amen? Grace is so much more than just getting saved. Amen? So let's look at a few of these mechanisms. And I took this list, I have to tell you, in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, chapter 48, he has a chapter titled, Means of Grace Within the Church. And he lists 11 means by which God distributes grace within the church. Number one, the teaching of the Word of God. Number two, baptism. Number three, the Lord's Supper. Number four, prayer. Not just prayer for each other, but prayer for other people. Prayer in general. Amen? Five, worship. Corporate worship. Do you realize that almost no, uh, there, almost every instance of worship in Scripture is corporate worship? Nearly every time, it is God's people corporately worshiping. Do you realize that you couldn't even go into the temple and it not be corporate worship? Remember Hannah going in there to pray, right? Guess who was there already? Priests. People who served in the temple, right? They were already there. How else was Hannah's prayer recorded? Somebody heard it and wrote it down, right? The reality that worship is not just a personal experience should cause people to understand that worship is a corporate endeavor that we must do together or we're missing one of the graces that God has given us for our benefit. Amen? Number uh, what did I say that one was? Five. Number five was worship. Number six, church discipline. 
This is probably one of the biggest reasons that people don't go to church. Oh, they judge me. They, they're always judging me. Well, nobody judges you. I bet people came to you and said, hey, I see you're doing this. I heard you're uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, lost doing this thing. And the Bible says, hey, don't do that. Right? People don't want correction. You want to know one of the biggest ways to tell whether or not somebody's really genuine in their faith, whether they can take correction or not? Seven, giving. The local church from the beginning, Acts chapter 2, they sold all their goods and they distributed it to every man as he had need. Do you know how many calls I get every week wanting people wanting help, people wanting help? And the, the sad reality is one year ago today, there was a lot more people here and a lot more people giving. And we had a lot more money to hand out. Amen? But you can't give what you don't have. The church can't help when there's nobody to give and nobody to supply for those needs. Amen? This is important. Giving at the local church is important if you want the local church to be effective in the community in which you live. Period. Amen? Number eight, spiritual gifts. I want you to really wrap your mind around this, okay? The spiritual gifts in the New Testament are never talked about individually. Paul, when he writes the Corinthians, he's writing to the whole church at Corinth. And he's telling them how these gifts are to be operated within the context of the church. It's not an individual message to say, oh, you got this great gift that you can just go out and exercise anytime you want. As a matter of fact, we don't even see those gifts operating outside of the context of the gospel or the local church. Every time the, a, a sign gift is being operated, it is in an endeavor to either point someone to Jesus Christ, which was why Peter healed the man when he walked into the gate of beautiful and he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. And then he had to go before the Sanhedrin to make an account for why this man is healed. And he said, and he stood there in front of the, the Pharisees and he preached the gospel. This man, Jesus, whom you crucified is both Lord and God, okay? This is why that man was healed, amen? The purpose was for the proclamation of the gospel, and then all the other gifts were for the edification of the church. It says so in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Those gifts are to edify, to build up the church not you individually, not your fame, not your uh, position, not your power, but the church as a whole to be effective for the work of the gospel. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are for. And they are in the context of the local church. Number nine, fellowship. This one is huge. 
Fellowship is the primary means that Christians build each other up, pray for one another, uh, uh, correct one another, iron sharpens iron. These are all the means, all of these means that we're talking about do not happen outside of church fellowship, outside of churches where people are dedicated to being with each other. Amen? I'm pretty sure that somewhere in nine marks, this comes up in one fashion or another. Fellowship. Being together. Right. Gathering. Amen? That's what fellowship is. We're gathering. Okay? Fellowship, not only are we gathering, but we love gathering. This is the idea behind fellowship. We enjoy spending time with each other. That's fellowship, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Matter of fact, the, the, in the Second London Baptist Confession, the, the section on the church is one of the longest sections also. Number 10, evangelism. Oh, oh what, what do you mean evangelism? Ain't everybody at church supposed to be saved? I would love it if everybody that walked through this door was saved, but I can't hinge my bet on the fact that they're all saved. So the context of evangelism has to be outward and inward within the church. You cannot just get so relaxed within the local church that evangelism stops at the front door. You know what I mean? Like, I'll evangelize while I'm outside the church, but once I get in here, I, I just, I, I better not. They're all saved. Well, wouldn't that be nice if it was true? Number 11. Personal ministry to individuals from one individual to another does not happen outside of the context of the local church. Most generally, people don't even see each other until the next service. That's how it most of the time works, right? And if you only meet once, uh, if, if you're only going once a week and then you miss for three weeks, it's been a month almost since you've seen anybody. And then it becomes very easy to be detached and feel detached from the local church. Fellowship hinges all these together, every one of them. That's why Acts 2 makes it a point to say they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread. And a prayer. Amen. Prayer is so important. You realize prayer is probably one of the next. The, probably talked about even more. Than the church. Prayer is the most important. Christian endeavor. That we can do. And most Christians don't do it nowadays. Right. 
but prayer is to be done privately but it's also to be done in your family time in your family worship time and and prayers also to be done as a corporate body as we pray one for another as we pray for the world as we pray for our towns our leaders as we pray for our families as we pray for those lost around us i mean prayer should be going up from this building all the time amen I could and may later in different sermons go into detail of each one of these points, all 11 of them. But for now, I want you to mark them in your mind as a limited list of biblical ways we know that God prescribed for the church to operate and by which he conveys further blessing and grace to those who are part of his body. I want to read a note that I wrote very simply, and I want you to follow along with me if you can, just mentally. We see in the scriptures Jesus Christ using Paul, Peter, James, John, Philip, Barnabas, Apollos, uh, 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 Aquila, Priscilla to establish churches in homes and in towns and in countries from Jerusalem to Rome. There's many more other people in the New Testament that I can't even name that were part of establishing the church of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel. Everywhere the gospel went, was proclaimed, a church was born. And they met together just like we talked about. We see after these churches are started, we see Paul and Apollos and Timothy and Titus appointing elders or pastors over these churches and then outlining to them their duties to Christ, their duties within the local church, their duties to the community around them. Much of the New Testament is written to churches in towns and in regions and not to individuals. Even the letters that are written to individuals outside, I guess, of Philemon, okay, but even the letters that are written to individuals such as Timothy and Titus are all about church structure, church discipline, church behavior and conduct. Amen? Setting aside elders, setting aside widows and orphans and making sure they're enrolled as a widow. There's a word we don't like, don't we? We don't like church roles, even though they have them. People go, I don't believe in organized religion. Well, you don't believe the gospel and you don't believe what Jesus came to establish because he said, I come to build my church. And then we watch the New Testament saints 
build the church and have rules and regulations and, and, and ways that you were part of the church and ways you got dismissed as part of the church, how you were a, a, an elder, the qualifications to be an elder, the qualifications to be a deacon, the qualifications to even be a widow. They kept roles, they kept records of those who were part of the church. They sent letters one to another about church members, about people who we kicked out. He, he, Paul writes a letter and he tells them, hey, that, that coppersmith, mark him. Don't talk to him. Don't have any dealings with him. Right? The reality is they were organized. They were doing things with a structure. And that structure, if you go back and look, would look like the apostles' teaching. Fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, being together, all things in common, gave to all who had need. Daily they met at the temple. Daily they praised God together. Amen? All these other things that we read from the list of 11, you know, the spiritual gifts being in operation within the church, giving, church discipline. Amen? Christians are not saved and left alone grasping to live lives as followers of Jesus Christ by their self. This is not what we see in Scripture. Let me read that again. Christians are not saved and left alone grasping to live lives as followers of Christ all by their self. They are not. This is not what we see in Scripture. And those who will not submit to membership and the leadership of the local church are not being some kind of super Christian. They are being disobedient to what Christ established. We are meant to love and serve each other and to reach out to others together. I want to read a quick few more notes and I'll be done and I'll close my text and you guys can you can go your own way and you can mark this and be like well pastor done lost his mind again and I don't want to hear any more of this number one in my closing notes how do we know that we are born again and have passed from death to life how do we know this Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Starting at verse... Oh, let me see. Now, let's just read verse 14. <clears throat> Maybe verse 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Wow. 1 John 3, 14. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. 
Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to also lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Wow. 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 I could keep reading. It just gets better and better and better because John is telling you unequivocally that your you know. This is how the first thing that we know. This is this is how we know a person has passed from death unto life. They love God's people, the brethren. Amen. Number two, turn with me to John chapter 13. John 13. I'm going to start reading at verse 33, but I want to read my note first. Others will know that we follow Jesus Christ. How? How will others know that we are followers of Jesus Christ? Let's look at this. Verse 33, chapter 13 of John. Little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. Ye, seek me, ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We can't say we love God and hate God's church at the same time. Amen. We cannot say... I love God and I, I worship God, but all them people down at that church. Now you can disagree with certain churches. You can disagree with them on doctrine. And I don't have a problem with disagreeing on doctrine. I don't even have a problem with you going, I just don't think I can go to that church. Maybe I ought to go to this church. I'm fine with that. But to totally act like church is unimportant. To act as if church is some kind of secondary issue is blasphemous to Christ. Because I cannot say I love God and refuse to love my brother. We are called, number three, we are called to consider one another and to stir up each other and to not forsake the gathering together of ourselves and I think most of you know where I'm going next Hebrews chapter 10 now my family reads the Bible every morning together and we read through this 
a few weeks ago. But it's important that we go over it every once in a while. I want to start at verse 22. Well, 21. Let's start at 21. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God. Who is that, everybody? Jesus is the high priest over the house of God. Amen. That Jesus is the head of the church. Amen. We must follow him. The Bible is our rule for faith and practice. We follow it, not pastors, not teachers. If they're not teaching the Bible and if they're not teaching Jesus, then we do not follow them. Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus being the head of the church has told us the only way people are going to know that you're my disciples is if you love one another. Just letting you know. Now, 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from evil consciences and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. As the manner of some is, excuse me. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approach. Now I want to stop right here. And then we're going to read the next verse, but I want to I want to lay some groundwork. Number one, he's telling you that since we have this great high priest, let us draw near to God. And he's not talking about individually. Notice the next few verses. He's telling us not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together, not to for. Uh, to forget, to spur one another along and to provoke one another to good works. This is done only in the confines of being together. You can't be out of fellowship and be doing this. Amen? So the gathering where, where it says, let us draw near, this is a corporate experience of drawing near to God. Amen? Just like in the wilderness, they all gathered at the mountain, they all gathered in the temple, right? When they drew near to God, they were drawing into the temple to worship, drawing into the tabernacle to worship, drawing up close to the mountain of God when Moses was on top of it. Amen? This is a corporate thing. He says, let us draw near with a full heart, of, uh, of a heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled of evil consciences, and our bodies washed with pure water. You go throughout the rest of the New Testament when it's talking about our consciences being cleared. It's personal sin, but it's also corporately we can't even have, what, what does the Bible say? Let not a hint of, of fornication be named among you, right? Let it not even be named among you. Not just personally, but corporately. Amen? Why? Because he's writing to a church. Amen? Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Do you understand the implications of this? If you think about this verse in context of a church, how am I going to hold fast to the profession of my faith? 
Generally, if you are a wayward Christian who is not fellowshipping with other people, who is not reading your Bible, who is not praying, who doesn't have an association with the local church, you will not hold on to your profession of faith. You begin to live just like the world, talk like the world, walk like the world, live like the world. And then we begin to go, was he really saved? Were they really born again? I don't know. Right? We hold fast the profession of our faith as we corporately together do the next verse. Look at the next verse. It says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Verse 23. Verse 24 says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Why does it say provoke unto love? Because when you're fellowshipping with people, what happens? Hurt feelings. People get mad at this person. Somebody gets mad at that person. Somebody gets mad at that person. And we have to learn to provoke each other to love. Say, hey, brother, I know you're upset about whatever it is. But remember, they're your brother in Christ. Christ loves them. Christ loves you. Christ calls all men everywhere to, to walk in peace one with another. Amen. This is provoking each other to love. Let's not lay aside love just for disagreement of doctrine. Let us not lay aside love over, over uh, arguments within the church. Even in the argument, we must be doing it in love. And we must, our conversation must be mixed with grace, seasoned, the Bible says, with grace. Amen? Finally, not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Exhorting one another for what? To continue meeting together. Exhorting one another all the much more as you see the day approach. Now when we read this as a family, we read a whole chapter. And we read verse 26 where it says, and if we willfully keep on sinning, or excuse me, if we sin willfully after having received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Now, this is interesting. While we're reading this, my wife said, so it was just talking about meeting in the local church and not forsaking that. And then it says, if we keep on sinning, she said, does that mean that it's a sin not to come to church? <laughs> it's an important question because this is the context of the chapter. Right now, what I will say is that not coming to church can lead you into sin. <laughs> Amen. We all already have a propensity to sin. Amen. I'm not saying that not coming to church is outright sinful in and of itself. Okay, but it will lead to it. And he's giving you a warning about not meeting together or not forsaking meeting together. And then he says, if we willfully go on sinning, what he's saying is, if you're inclined not to meet, the, the outcome is more than likely that you are going to be inclined to continue on sinning. It's, it's amazing, right? Finally, we need... What Hebrews chapter 25 says. We need not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approach. We need this all the much more. 
We need this all the much more. We need Christians to realize the necessity of gathering together in the local church. We need Christians to realize the necessity of the all the much more. We need all the much more Christians. We need Christians to be all the much more meeting together. They need to be actively, deeply, intimately involved in a local church because this is the only way we will be successful alone and together. Our success depends much on how we operate as the church because we are not the church by ourselves. We are the church only when we're gathered, only when we're together. Amen? Now, <laughs> they need, and I'm talking about the people who need to be actively, deeply, intimately involved in a local church, they need to be committed members of a local church. Oh, we don't even like the word membership anymore. We're like, you say the word membership and people will run for the front door. But we need people who actively, deeply, intimately want to be a part of the local church. They're committed to being members of a local church. Loving the people of God and committed to the vision and the success of Christ's body, Christ's bride, Christ's church. We need members that are committed to that endeavor. Now I say all this because we live in a day and an age where church membership and uh, church itself is kind of looked at as a secondary thing. Well, I've got my faith in Christ and that's the important thing. But that's not what we see in scripture. That kind of lone ranger, I got it all by myself kind of Christianity is nowhere in the New Testament. The New Testament Christian is a Christian personally has a relationship with God. That's true. But that relationship that is personally between him and God is never solely expressed by himself. It is almost always expressed in the context of a local church, a local church body. Amen? These things are important. The next time I talk about this, I may go ahead and read several articles that I have found on this subject that may spur some people that watch this to understand the importance of this thing we call church. That's why I titled it, This is Necessary. Church is Necessary. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for establishing us as your people, for calling us out, for equipping us, for helping us to minister to the community that we are a part of. God, I pray right now that if there is anyone who has listened to this message, Lord, I pray that as they heard it, they didn't hear condemnation, but they heard someone who is exhorting them and encouraging them 
to be a part of a local church, to be involved, to be committed to that body, to those people, that they could grow together, learn together, minister Christ together, that they would live as a people called out and assembled, fellowshipping one with another, loving each other, and loving you. God, we ask that you would help them. Those who have struggled with finding a church home, those who have struggled with getting plugged in and becoming active in a local church. I pray, God, that you would bless those that heard this message tonight. That maybe those are listening right now to this while I'm praying, God. I pray that you would stir their heart, stir their mind, stir their soul to follow you and to find a church where they can be plugged into. God, we stand at this church. We stand welcoming, ready to welcome those who would come. Lord, we ask you to help us as church members to go out into the community, to be effective at witnessing for Christ in, in, in evangelizing. Not only that, but just loving people where they are, meeting needs, and helping those who don't know you to hear the gospel that they might believe. God, we pray that you would help us, empower us, and, and, and do this all, God, for your glory. Because we know that we are not the ones establishing your church, but that Christ has determined that he will build his church and he will do it through his people. But we ask that you would help us, that you would help us to model this, help us to live this, use it to grow us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.